Good morning and welcome to Fencing by the Book, the podcast where we take an in-depth look at the early Lichtenhauer longsword glosses. I'm your host, Mike Smorridge, and joining us are our panel of Michael Chidester, Jess Finley, Stephen Cheney, Kendra Brown, TQ, and Johanna Hopfgardner. This is episode 34, where we'll be taking a second look at lines 91 to 92 on Dirtschlaufen, or running through. What have we been up to since last week? Michael? Um, I have been HEMA-related, I suppose, mostly boxing up books and shipping them, which will be my life for ever. Um, I just got a massive shipment of the Telhover Companion volume in, which I'm going to be shipping out to everybody. Because I was doing it on the Black Friday sale, in the last like 10 minutes of the Black Friday sale, I discovered I still had 40 people to ship books to, so I just bought a big bulk shipment and I'll mail them out individually. And that's very time consuming and tedious, but that's what I've been doing. So people are finally getting their companion volumes. I think at least one person on this call has already got theirs, right? Yep. Um, uh, Yeah, so it's it's pretty sweet. Um, And those of you who are listening who didn't buy it, you missed out. But we might release it next year for people to buy on Amazon or something, we'll see. Cool. Uh, Jerry, what have you been up to? Um, nothing. <laughs> um, Lockdown life. I, I, I have pretty much accepted my HEMA break by now. <sighs> um, mm. We'll hit lockdown number three after Christmas, so another few weeks or month of no training. I'd probably forget what HEMA actually is if it weren't for... Stefano and his daily uh, posts in Hima in pyjamas, which I am very grateful for, <laughs> but nothing really. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Steve, what have you been up to? I I guess Hima mostly, yeah. The most Hima-related thing I did was work on my presentation about passing steps that I'm going to be giving on the HEMA Discord tomorrow. And I kind of am trying to make a compilation of all the stuff that we've kind of talked about and worked on as far as passing step attacks go, like, since the beginning of lockdown. So hopefully that'll be interesting. And other than that, I cut up a snowman with a sword, which was fun. (laughs) Sweet. Uh, T, what have you been up to? Uh, very little HEMA related. Uh, we are still in no training here in London and have just gone to the new tier four level of measures uh, that previously did not exist until they were out- announced today. So I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Um, I'm rereading Lord of the Rings. It's good. Nice. Uh, with all the appendices and stuff? Obviously. <laughs> what and reciting all the poems as you go as well is important. Are you enjoying the Tom Bomber bit? Bomber, 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 Tom Bomber, why he was cut? Yeah, yeah, of course I am. <laughs> um, although obviously I went way past him. Uh, I'm into book five already. Cool. So, oh anyway, no, not cool. The opposite of cool. <laughs> Kendra, what have you been up to? Kendra, yeah. There we go. Uh, yes, I I have clearly been forgetting how to unmute. Uh, <laughs> I. <laughs> I have finally published my blog article about decorating the edges of manuscripts and have moved on to the not very different topic of I'm now writing about how to identify different types of gold pigment on manuscript pages. Oh, awesome. Cool. Grab a link to there. And that leaves me, I guess. What have I been up to? I have been... um, in some fencing and because of this podcast the the translation of Lev that I've been working on had run out so I've super quickly in the last week translated this and the, the slicing sections and then was like hang on why do we call it this section the slicing section there's no slicing in here but this is a mystery for next week all right we should probably move on to the text itself. Jerry, would you be able to give us the, the German again for this Durchlaufen section? Yes. <clears throat> Durchlauf, lass hangen. Mit dem Knopf greif, will du rangen. 
Wer gegen dir stärkt, durchlauf damit Merk. Thank you very much. And Steve, could you give us Hazard's translation? Pass through, hang it to the floor, by the pommel, come to grips for sure. For those who keep strong against you, always remember the passing through. Thank you very much. So last week we were doing the the, the same Zettel, but the first section of the gloss, which was all uh, what throws, body throws as you run in. And in contrast, this section's wrestling, arm wrestling. That makes it sound like it's two people with massive grunty right arms at a table wrestling at the arms. Is there a preferred term? Uh, you see both. Um, I I normally call these sections like running in and then wrestling at the arms or wrestling at wrestling at the hands. Like, yeah, you know, this is grabbing the person, but it's grabbing their arms instead of putting them on your hips and throwing them directly body to body. I just cool. say body wrestles and arm wrestles. Yeah, arm wrestling is then. So, what are what are the plays that we have here? I don't, do I want to read through the entire gloss? No, I don't really. There's a, a bunch of different plays um, which are scattered. I did a, a kind of inventory of these just recently, actually. You get, roughly speaking, four different throws and two different disarms um, scattered across the different glosses. Uh, so some are only in Danzig and Lev, some are only in Ring X, some are in all three. And the, the set is pretty much that you grab their hilt and then you either hit them or you throw them. You hook, their, uh, hook them with your pommel and put an armbar like extend their uh, fully extend their right elbow, and you can use that to set up a throw. You grab their arms with your hands and twist them up in such a way that they fall over, uh, which is a ring ek only play and has never really made sense to me. So I guess we'll talk about it in a bit. Um, and then you just drop your sword, grab their hand and their arm, and put an armbar in to break their arm or throw. Um, are the are the throwing ones? Then you have a disarms, one where you reach over and grab their sword and twist it out of their hands, and one where you do a half sword grab on both swords and then kind of wind their sword out of their hands with their own sword. So that's the, the full set of plays. And they're scattered a little bit across the glosses, but they're all reasonably consistent on the which glosses have which is variable, but the plays themselves seem to mostly stay the same. It's it's worth mentioning that Udlev is the only one that gives us a a explicit explanation of why there's two different sections of Durklaufen. Um, and he, which you can, I mean, you can derive from the descriptions of the individual plays, but Yudlev begins by saying that these um, wrestlings at the arms are specifically for people who run in against you with their arms low, which deprives yeah. you of your opportunity to do the, the hip throws. Um, and instead, you have to go into these arm wrestlings. So. The body wrestling is for someone who has their arms high as they come in, and the um, the plays we're discussing today are for people who keep their arms low. Yeah. The other thing to mention is that the distance will typically be a little bit wider for these than the distance you need to achieve to get a body wrestle on someone. Um, yeah, because you don't right. need hip to hip. Yeah. I can, I can mess with somebody's hands and take their sword away or lock out their arm or something if I can reach their arm versus if I have my body next to their body. Cool. Well, in the in the body ones, you're closing the distance by running through. So maybe yeah. you could say that both of these start from, you know, the same idea of distance. But in the body ones, if their arms are high, then that gives you an opportunity to close the distance. Or if they're running in at you, then you can the distance can close more, and you run under their arm to to do the big high amplitude throws. So arm wrestles. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Do you, do we want to talk about like um, do we want to talk about standing arm locks and why we can't have them be allowed in tournaments? I guess we probably should because there's at least like two of those in this section, if not three. Yeah. So the two um, there's the straight arm bar in this, or at least how I read them is the, the there's the straight arm bar where you hook your pommel over their hand to give you one point of contact. Then the other point of contact is on their elbow, and you're kind of pushing and pulling against it to, you know, to wrench the the elbow joint to, to hyperextend the elbow joint. There you go. That's what 
we're looking for. And then the other one is kind of a uh, figure four slash Kimura standing uh, where you lift their elbow and pull their arm back. Yeah. With a bent arm. Right. So um, you could say, you could make the argument that like, you know, people do Brazilian jiu-jitsu and they do like arm bars and kimuras all the time and it's safe because people tap out. However, there's a difference between doing them on the ground and doing them standing. When you do them on the ground, you have like that extra point of contact, which is the ground, to kind of fix them in place. Whereas while they're standing, you have one fewer point of contact. So, for example, for the armbar, um, if you do, you know, the classical judo, jujitsu, uh, jujigatami straight armbar, with you know your hips on their Oops. elbow, and your your hand on their arm, and your feet over their head. So now you have that extra anchor of your feet over their head. So you have three points of contact on them instead of two. If you only have two then that gives them too much freedom. So if you just, you know, gently put slowly in... Slowly try and apply it. Right. If you try to slowly apply it, then they'll just circle around and run away. But if you, you know, crank it immediately, then it just breaks their arm. So therefore, there's there's not really any good way to apply these to um, to competition, unfortunately. So you're not saying that they don't work, just that the only way to do them is to do them for real, and there's no way to do it all friendly-like. Yeah, and I think also as a result, um, that makes it a lot harder to apply. And like if if you are in you know quote unquote like a real fight on the street, it'll be a lot harder to apply because you never actually practiced it under pressure. Yeah, like it's worth noting that judo, for example, as far as I recall, doesn't allow standing standing locks like this, despite the fact they allow ground locks. Um, yeah. It's you, if you're in a, non a non-compliant situation, then it's too easy for somebody to escape it, so you have to crank it on instantly, and then things break. Yeah. Um, they used to be allowed in judo, and a lot of people got their arms broken, and now they're not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> Should we ban flying scissor kicks in HEMA as well? No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> flying scissor kicks are totally legit. You can do them off the side of I the think, cage in your uh, your longsword yeah. MMA. I forget what rule set it was, or like somebody wrote on the internet somewhere that like anything with the word flying in it, you can probably assume <laughs> is not allowed in a tournament. <laughs> I like, um, speaking of tournament rules, just for uh, digressing for a minute, the Irish, at least one of the Irish events, has a habit of naming new rules after the person who inspired them to break it, <laughs> to, to impose the rule. I recall, I believe Mike Smallridge has a credited rule that you aren't allowed to throw your dagger in the Rapier and Dagger tournament. <laughs> it wasn't against the rules. It's totally legit. I'm sure it's in a book right. somewhere. And, and now it is against the rules, thanks to you. <laughs> Michael Hunt, right? Yeah, when they put the when they put the smallish run in, I asked about uh, offhand pistols, and those got banned under my name. I haven't even <laughs> been to the event yet. <laughs> right? Should we? Um, I guess we can go through these individually mm. and talk about them. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's do that first. Let's do that first. Oh, what else did okay. you want to do though? Because oh, we can like, skip, we can do like last week and not talk about the techniques at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are, at some point, I'd like to talk about the, the techniques that one might expect to see, which aren't in here. That's what I wanted to bring up, yeah. Yeah, but we, we can actually cover the content before we talk about the lack of content. I reckon that's probably the way to go. <laughs> I guess that's reasonable. <laughs> all right. Everybody ready for mic talking time? Here we go. I wouldn't bother reading out the techniques. Like they're all pretty short and pretty clear. No, we're committed. Here, okay. remember now the arm wrestling with the sword. Remember when he runs in towards you with the sword and holds his arms low so that you may not run through him. Then drive the wrestling that you will read here. That's the lev. His arms are low, so do these. Should remember, we read them one at a time and then discuss them? By yeah. the way, 
yeah, right. Anybody got anything to say about the preamble? No. We already did Remember. the preamble. We're good. <laughs> Remember, when he runs in towards you with the sword and is, holds his hands low, then invert your left hand and grip his right inwardly therewith between his hands and press him on your left side therewith. And with your right hand, strike him over the head with the sword. Make sense? Um, Lev also has an alternate continuation. Instead of striking them, you throw them. I don't know if you want to mention that. Uh, I can't work out which column these are, because... That's the next paragraph. Just never labeled the columns. Okay. Another, if you do not want to strike him, then leap with your right foot behind his left and drive in with your right arm around his neck in front or behind and so throw him over your right knee. Yeah. Right. So, so this, the, the, these two techniques are in Danzig, Nikolaus, and Lev, but not in Ringek. Yeah. This is probably yes. the one that you see most in modern tournaments, to be honest. Like, you get close, just grab their hilt, and then hit them with your sword. Um, simple, effective, works pretty well. And depending on your rule set, you have to hit them with your sword because the grab itself is non-scoring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or the at least one practical in such a way that it can hit them with no, with nothing stopping them, which is my yeah. preferred way to do it. The one practical thing I feel about these ones is that you want to, from a kind of how do you do this effectively perspective, is that you need to watch out for them trying to counter grab your own hilt, um, mm. which is the obvious thing everyone tries to do. Um, a couple of Messer plays show kind of variations of this sort of idea. But where you'll typically like practically step through under your own hand, so it ends up out behind you, um, and that both helps a lot to get your let you line up the point to make a hit if you, especially if you want to make a thrust, which is a, an easier one to show. And also by kind of grabbing their hilt and stepping under your sword, you hide your hand behind yourself and make it a lot harder for them to interfere with your your elbow or your hand and stop you from doing a blade action, which can be handy. You go behind your back. Or between your behind legs. your back is a, a good thrust. Um, what's interesting to me is that the the setup of person runs in with hands low seems like it's ideal for, to bring in some of the 50 or so Fiore grappling at the sword techniques, but we don't see any of them in this section. This is the one that's closest, and it's not quite the same as anything that Fiore teaches. And from here, it's a completely different sort of paradigm for arms low arm wrestling, which it, what you might guess that Fiore has every possible one because of how many he has, but no, Lichtenauer pulls out like 10 strange ones that don't fit in. Um, so this one is, is dead simple and is sort of similar, but from here on, it gets weird. Well, I mean, when Fiore has the left hand coming in to, to grab the hilt, he still has his sword held in the right hand, but tucked on the outside of his arm, which is kind of weird. And that's a, a detail that varies a bit. Um, and I, I wonder what the actual intent was. It makes more sense if it's on the inside, right? Just sort of hanging out there. Um, but depending on which manuscript you look at, there's the sword is somehow behind your opponent's arms and really hard to bring back around to attack with. Yeah, it's kind of bound up in the middle. I think only Paris has it on the inside of the action. Yeah, Pat Paris is the only one that has it on the right hand, but it kind of has it overlaid on the the grabber's arms. So yeah, it it it, it may be a mistake in the art, but he says he can strike him with his edge or his point in the Fiore description, just like Lichtenauer says. Mm. Except that he really can't, based on the picture, the sword's in the wrong place. So the whole thing is kind of puzzling. So. For this one, we also have the second part of this, which is kind of, I guess, so hand, so you pull to the side and then you enter on the other side and then you kind of do, I think number four, was it? Over the knee one? The right foot behind the left would be more like number one. Number four is left foot behind. It's on the, other, it's on the opposite side though. No. So it's a, it's a backwards throw over the knee. It's the Tanya Toshi style hmm. one. But you yeah, can but, also but reach you do grab them behind their neck. Them. Yeah, and then just pull them backwards. Yeah. Which back, makes. Run backwards. 
Yeah, I like that they included in front or behind the neck because kind of, uh, to me anyway, it gives more of a visual of what this is supposed to look like. You're kind of dragging them down over your knee. And you can do that yeah. either... No, because how else are you going to do that if you're if if you're pulling your hand behind? You know, you kind of have to get friendly with them. Put your hand around, or I guess your uh, sword pommel around their neck, and just kind of drag them backwards. Yeah. All right, on to the next one. I would just add one extra little thing here, actually, which is that the going into the throw here can also be a good move if they do manage to counter grab your sword. Especially if they grab towards the weakier sword, because the tournament's bad about um, uh, allowing presented threat to stop the action. If someone grabs mm -hmm. the weak of your sword, just throwing the hilt kind of towards them and coming into wrestle is a really good counter, because they'll be busy trying to control a sword that they have a terrible grip on, and you can throw yeah. them while they're getting distracted by that. Uh, Talhofer shows that as a counter in some of his actions, and it can be a really handy little transition. Grabbing around from behind the neck, like reaching around their head and grabbing their face is associated with uh, the sun pointer on horseback. Oh, what point? Faulkner. The sun pointer um, on horseback, the sun and Zagan. Um, and uh, Faulkner has a version a version of this where he brings the sword in, but he he explicitly calls it the sun pointer. So Sweet. And that's my homework. Thank you, Jess. Yeah. Oh, somebody asked actually about the the uh, summon Saigon on the HEMA Discord today. It's um, oh, it's kind of it comes up in a lot of places. Um, mm -hmm. so it seems it seems like it was like a common thing that a lot of people knew about, which is it's cool. a it's a very evocative term term for a, a technique. And then you will show him the sun. Do we mean like sundial or uh, something else? Yeah. I will. I always interpret it as you're jerking his head up towards the sky, which means, you know, yeah. here, let me show you the sun. Okay. That's By twisting your head around. That's what I thought also. Yeah. You're showing them the sun. Yeah. It's, it's showing them the sun and also showing them the sun moving across the sky. Right, so it's not just look yeah. up; it's look up and over. So, hmm. cool. All right, next wrestling. Yet another arm wrestling at the sword. Likewise, remember when he runs in towards you with the sword and is low with his hands, and you run in with him. Then release your left hand from your sword and hold it in the right, and with your right, drive in over his right arm with your pommel and press down therewith and seize his right elbow with your left hand, and leap with your left foot in front of his right, and so back over him, your foot to your right side. Armbar time. Yeah, this is hook with the pommel, take the elbow, push them through, trip them as they go with that, because they have to go that way or break their elbow. Yeah, and this is fairly common as arm wrestling plays that we see in modern fencing. Yeah. I'd hope it's not too common. <laughs> you can easily counter yeah. this by bending your elbow as they try to do it. Yeah. And they'll have a yeah. very impossible time getting the, <laughs> getting your arm straight. Right, next one. The counter-counter is... to the bend of the elbow is to release their hand, at which point, if you're lucky, they'll punch themselves in the face. <laughs> Depending on how much they're in there. Like, or you can do an arm key. Yeah. yeah um, like, it sounds silly, but it is actually it is actually kind of true. If somebody's pushing down with their elbow to resist the, the straightening, uh, you can apply that pressure, and as they push back against it, release the hand, and it comes back up. Um, They'll have the sword in their right. hand also. So. Yeah, they lamp themselves in the face with their hilt. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Uh, it's worth mentioning that that one's in every source in this RDLN compilation. Yeah, this is one of the standards. Unlike this next one, which isn't yet another wrestling at the sword. Likewise, remember, when you run in towards someone, drive with your left arm over his right, and with that, seize your right arm with your hand inverted, and press his left over your left with your right arm, 
and leap with your right foot behind his right and turn yourself away from him towards your left side and thus you throw him over your hip. Would would work now? So what's this? Some kind of arm wrap to throw? Figure four. Figure four? Uh... F- figure four is the next one. This is the weird ring egg one. Right? <laughs> or am I wrong? Yeah, this is the really weird ring egg one. You end up... This could also be a figure four, though. I yeah, think your left the... arm's going over and then grabbing your right arm inverted. So yeah, that sounds figure four Yeah, if you're grabbing your own arm. Mm-hmm. Press his left so... over your left. Wait a minute. Wait. Oh, no, 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 no. Is it a chicken wing? Yeah, I think this is like a, a wing like this while you step behind their leg. Wing this way. I, I also want to point I'd be out that to wing them the other way. I want to point out that for this one, the um, Dresden and the Glasgow disagree a couple times. There's some that are there's some that are right in one and left in the other, and one that's his in one and your in the other. So, all right, so this is super confusing. Only in ring yeah. it, throw it in the trash. Yeah. Like I hate it when the when there's your his confusion between the two because yeah. then you're just like what the fuck's going on here? I've seen interpretations where you're grabbing both arms, yours or his, and they both sort of work, so it's hard to falsify. Yeah, like they I think look it, very different though. At a very general level, there's kind of this idea that you like you grab their arms and tangle them up in some way and put your foot behind them and then just back them over your foot. Okay, but exactly yeah. what you're doing to their arms. I've never really understood. Is what are we... <laughs> Sorry, I can't figure out which technique we're reading. I'm jumping back and forth on Wicked an Hour. Uh, and I'm going to number 95. Okay, thank you. So, this is the one where if we th- if we uh think about the lion Sigmund the lion, he wrote his rough draft which was Ringek. And was looking <laughs> over it and was like, uh, this one doesn't really okay. make sense. I'm going to leave it out and live. <laughs> for, for anybody listening, this is Steve's spicy wild theory. This is in no way factually it's not mine. accurate. Is, if, anybody is, if anything, this is Chittister's. <laughs> but it's but definitely it, factually it, accurate. It's probably he, true. He embraced it wholeheartedly. <laughs> no, actually, I think no, no, he no. has also raised this possibility in the past. Yeah. Don't pay any attention to these people. Stephen Cheney and Michael Chillister <laughs> don't know anything about Lichtenhauer glosses. <laughs> and T, this this is the fencing by the book gospel here. I mean, I think, well, not quite half of us agree with this. So, do I need to put my foot down? I am fencing by the book. <laughs> <laughs> We've nearly got a majority. It will take over. Um, but yeah, this particular conventional person. This particular right, Steve, play Steve is... does put in all the all the work. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this particular play is only in Ringek. It obviously has textual confusion between the two Ringek copies. Though, like, I think it's pretty easy to get a vague idea of what's going on. You're entangling and dragging their arms in a direction that puts them off balance, and then you're just letting them tri- tripping them over your leg off that control. But exactly what you're grabbing and how you're doing it is really unclear um, to me. I've never... I think every time I've taught this play to students, I've taught a completely different play, and it's always kind of worked. So, And it's always been yeah. at least consistent enough with the text to be justifiable. I have an interpretation based on arbitrarily selecting some of the your hises and left rights that works, but I, I'm not going to say it's gospel either. This one, we may have to wait for another version of Ringek to appear to break the tie. It's cool. a bit like um, the double failure in Ringek, where there's this awesome line of your his confusion, where <laughs> both glosses say you do this to the right, and then they add an explanatory line saying which right that is, whether it's your right or his right. One of them says your right, and the other one says his right. <laughs> Terrific. Like, well... Anyway. All right. Next one. Of the silly play. Enough ring act. Let's get to another play that's in all of them. Here, remember a sword taking. Likewise, remember, when someone runs in towards you with the sword, then invert your left hand, and with that, drive over his right arm, and grip his sword by the handle between both his hands and pull back with it on your left side. Thus you take his sword from him. You've missed I just one. Want to... Yeah, you skipped what? the figure four. 
You skipped oh, the Kimura. Well. You skipped like the best one. <laughs> All right. Never mind, guys. Steve, I'm so sorry. Edit this in post. <laughs> Yet another arm wrestling oh. at the sword. Likewise, remember when he runs in towards you with the sword in his lowered hands and you run in with him. Then release your left hand from your sword and hold it in the right. And with your right, drive in over his right arm with your pommel and press down therewith. Seize his right elbow with your left hand and leap with your left foot in front of his right and so back him over your foot on the right side. All right, what's going on here? We did this one already. You've got the wrong one again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you want the play which oh, is like this play but you throw away your sword grab their hand instead of uh hooking them with the pommel that's like yeah, the play the you're trying to go says, for here remember a sword taking i believe is next like yeah. look here i'll read yeah, it here, remember a sword um, taken this will vex him badly that's the one i just read oh yeah another wrestling the sword no maybe, maybe the compilations in a different order I don't think it is, but I can check. Uh, well, anyways, should, should we? Should we? This will vex him badly. Is the one that I think we're on, right? No, we're on yet, uh, yet an arm wrestling. Uh, Read it to you. Okay, what? cool. Did we uh, do the vex will vex him badly one? That one's in a different order in the other things. Well, wait, anyway. you're looking at Ringek, which is reverse of Danzig and Lev. That's right. That's why. Yeah, I'm looking at the order that Steve used in his book. Um, so the way to people too. The, the play we're actually trying to discuss is yet another arm wrestling. Likewise, remember, when he runs in on you with the sword, then let your sword fall and invert your right hand and seize his right hand outwardly therewith. And with your left grasp him, grasp him near the right elbow and spring with your left foot in front of his right and shove his right arm over your left with your right hand uh, and lift him upwards therewith. Thus he is locked and thus you may break his arm or throw him in front of you over your left leg if you want. Wait, Steve, why did you go with Ringdex order here and not Danzig and Lev? Because, because I think the sword takings should all be together. Hmm. It's a clearer order I, I if you have the wrestle than the throw than the than the disarms. Yeah. I mean, the real reason is I don't remember. But uh, <laughs> if fair. I had to jump into my own head and figure out why I did it, it would be because the sword takings belong together. Hmm. To me, uh, it's not important. Let's continue. Yeah. So now that we're play. What? Um, now that we've got to this play, what this play is, is, as Steve notes, you reach over, grab their hand, turn through, grab the elbow, and put them into a, a kind of twisting lock, uh, and then throw a break. This is very similar to what's called taking the weight in armor, isn't it? Or taking mm -hmm. the balance. I can't remember which way it's phrased. Yeah, yeah. Elbow to the balance is what Cal calls it. Um, and most of the places it gets called out, it says that you will put their elbow into their balance, right? So it's just that idea of shoving their elbow down into the center. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nice, easy play after all the discussion it took. Yeah, this one, um, I mean, you can do this one in armor. As far as I understand, you can't do a, um, a straight arm lock in armor other than to as leverage for a throw because the armor like braces your, your arm and doesn't let it. Is that correct? Yeah. Or hyper Depends on your armor. The, the only straight arm lock I can immediately think of in armor is one where you like put them on their face, sit on their shoulder, and then drag their arm up and backwards while like bracing their elbow until it breaks. Which is that's a, a bit of a brutal version a of a... Yeah. That's a Hundfeldt's one, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a bit of a brutal version of a straight arm lock. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it entirely depends on your armor. And um, incidentally, for what it's worth, we don't we're not really big fans of all the arm locks in armor standing either. Right. In competition, because you can't feel anything. And so like as the doer or the receiver, you can't feel it until you're past the bad place. Because the armor interferes with your control, such as it were. But yeah, this is a great throwing armor. It's awesome. Yeah. Lock them up, throw them down. Good times. <laughs> Sweet. All right, here we go. Back to the order. Back to the one that I just read. Can you just copy and paste this, Steve? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> here, remember it's a sword okay, taking. 
Likewise, remember, when someone runs in towards you with the sword, then invert your left hand with that, drive over his right arm, and grip his sword by the handle between both his hands, and pull back with it on your left side, thus you take his sword from him. This will vex him badly. This is nice. This reminds me of like a, the kind of Valestine plays, where you just reach in on someone and pluck their sword out of their hands. This one's an interesting one. This one so much. Wallerstein has like a few variations of this one. Normally when they're high up in Ox and all crossed over. There's it? one in Ox, there's one that's lower, there's... I don't know. I don't remember. But, yeah. If they're in Ox, then... Well, for... One one problem with Ox is it's harder to get to, because, like, how do you reach over somebody like that? But if you do get a, a grip on it, you can just pull them down backwards. Pretty cool. Yeah. But anyway, let's talk about this one in the book, or we could talk about Wallerstein. That's fine with me. Mm. <laughs> I haven't got much else to say about it, to be honest. Um, I often see people doing showing interpretations of this, which don't really address how you're actually doing taking their sword away with one hand versus two hands. So I think that might be an interesting topic to mm. talk about briefly. Like, there's. If it's just a pulling competition, this doesn't work. So there has to be something more going on in what you're doing with it. Um, I tend to think that the twisting part of it is pretty key. Like the, the bit where it says that you come in with an inverted hand then allows you to uninvert your hand. And while you're doing that, you're inverting their hands. And that helps a lot with your the relative yeah. power of the actions. And you're using sort of big lat muscles to pull rather than biceps. The way that I've always yeah. done it is like you reach in with your inverted hand and grab it. And then you just lock your hand, your arm where it is, and turn the body. So you're just kind of like the same idea as like powering its fairhow. If you're trying to cut through a mat, you just turn the body, and it kind of goes to all like the weak parts of their fingers in the in the right ways. Mm. So, but I've never been able to do this in competition because they can't grab somebody's sword between a tilt. The version. Well, the ver even when they're holding the pommel. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the version I mostly teach on this is based on grabbing, like grab upside down, and then essentially put your hand right way up in your pocket by your hip, and that sort of twisting it down and through gives you a lot of a lot of big muscle groups being recruited and turns them turns their grip over in a way that makes it a lot harder for them to resist. So like I grab here and I pull it down and through and it turns as I come down with a, a twist of the body and everything. And I find that helps a lot with the amount of like the amount of power you generate against the amount of resistance they become able to provide, especially as they start to turn over. It's a lot harder for them to pull against what you're doing. All right. Jess, do you no. have thoughts? Uh, yeah, I bit different, I guess. Maybe I'm weird. Um, well, I'm definitely weird. We don't even have to maybe that. Um, but yeah, because like my thought is their hands are low and coming forward, right? Isn't that our setup? Or is it not? It is a bit variable. Okay. I don't think it yeah. explicitly says low here. Right. But, uh, all so yeah, I tend to... Right. So I tend to think about it. It's that setup so when I come through in between their hands, like I'm going to be maybe facing the same direction they are, right? When I've come through and then twist that back out around and down like a, uh, like a counterclockwise twist. And so their sword and my sword and everything is going this way. And then I'm clear to pop their face and pull their sword away. But, you know. I definitely agree with a counterclockwise twist. That's the kind of angle I, I tend to take to it. It's like it's coming from here and it's curving down and through a bit, whether it's high or low. I think I mostly see this one as more of a hands-high situation, but I don't know. But it says arms low. It doesn't say I arms think, low. Uh, this is the arms does. Even, I think even if you don't get their sword out of their hands with this one, 
then you just yeah, in a pretty bad place. The, yeah, you just go to the first arm wrestling again, where you just grab the arm and pull. Now you're in that situation. I guess yeah. what the the worst the worst case scenario is if they're like really holding strong, and you put your arm in there and they like twist your <laughs> twist your arm. <laughs> so. So regarding Lev, incidentally, he says that like. Uh, you know, he has a section saying, Mark, when he runs into you with a sword and it's his arms low so you can't run through, then do these wrestlings that I now describe. Um, and then he describes two plays where he explicitly says they hold their hands low, and this is not mm. one of them. Um, so he said that there are two particular plays which you do when they're holding their hands low, and it's the inverting the left hand and pulling mm. their hand aside and just hitting them, and the um, uh, elbow hook, the like the pommel hook play. Those yeah. are the only two that he specifically gives hands Hanslow in the setup of the play. Because the glasses never leave out part of the setup when they're describing the technique. So I think it's interesting that he said, here are the plays you do. You know, here are the body wrestlings. Now here are the plays you do when their hands are low. And he just gives you a couple of those. And then he says, and here are some more. And then there's like, and here are some more wrestlings where I'm no longer giving this explicit setup. I think when you're looking at a particular gloss compared to itself, when a setup disappears from a series of plays, where it's previously been consistent, that's probably indicative. I mean, it's fine. I don't think these plays work with with hands high. I certainly can't reach over someone's arm if their hands are high. Depends how I high. Like, I can't reach like over someone's arm if their hands are above their head. But if their hands are at like shoulder level, I can reach someone's arm. Unless yeah. they're, you know, Steve Cheney. To me, to and... me, that's, that's hands low though. To me, hands high is like over the head, and hands low is like. Anywhere that's not over in the front head. of the torso, yeah, yeah, fair. I don't like, think it has to be waist high, but I would the the kind of distinction I draw between this one and the next one in terms of setups, where Ringak isn't particularly clear about a difference in setups, is that this one works better when their hands are at like shoulder level, and the next one works better than when their hands are more like waist rib cage um, sort of level. So I would say that shoulder level is sort of the the boundary, the gray area between hands high and hands low. So I would still accept that as a hands low situation if you wanted to try to apply it there. I think above the shoulder would be specifically for the hands high wrestling, and below the shoulder would be for the hands low wrestlings. And if they're actually at shoulder height, like in the middle of a cut, then that's a squishy place where things might work yeah. and they might not. Yeah. Like if they're above shoulder height, you can go underneath. If they're but if they're at shoulder height, you can't get to their body because their their arms are are here. So Hence, you do things with their hands instead. All right, guys, this is really interesting, but we're one play <laughs> away from finishing the, this section. So, we're going to do that. Let's do it. And this, this is the best is, one of the whole group. So, yeah. Is that because it's not in Ringek? Or... It's in Ringek. Nah, it's not, not in Lev, interestingly. Okay, it's the worst one. All right. Likewise, <laughs> this is another sword taking. Likewise, remember, when he binds on your sword with displacing or otherwise, then seize both swords in the middle with your left hand on the blades and hold them tightly together, and then drive through below with the pommel with your right hand in front against your left side over both his hands and pull upwards and back towards your right side. Thus, you remain with both swords. Fancy. Exciting. Really good in demos. Anybody yeah, ever done this show to the crowd? So does this one work? In our in demos, yeah. <laughs> it works against a compliant opponent like you wouldn't believe. It works great at half sword. <laughs> it works when Artofama is doing it against mm -hmm. people in pools. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Maybe, maybe not. People that actually build it are able to to carry it out. This is in Codex Waldstein too, isn't it? The same sort of sword taking. There's actually two versions of this in Waldstein. Uh, I've definitely seen. You... Go on. There's one where you kind of uh, just come up straight up from below, as far as I remember, and then there's one that's more like this, where you twist around. I'm pretty sure I've seen Artifama do this with sparring gloves on, so it's not just a personal thing. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's definitely an Artifama thing. <laughs> my point, my point with uh, Artofama being that 
it works a lot better when there is a large skill gap between the two players. So this is the play you it's do when you could do literally anything and have it work. Then you should have this one in okay. your pocket so that everyone will right. be impressed. You can do literally anything, but you want the you want that technical prize. <laughs> yeah. So you do the flashy moves that people are able to. This is stop. a technical medal right here. Yeah. I in fact believe the time I saw Arto do this in a tournament to a guy in pools, he did win the technical prize that day. So, you know. Out <laughs> of here, folks. And it was a great technical prize too. It was a sharp sword by Matthias Solowski. With scabbard. Really gorgeous. Much better so, prize than the first medal, to be honest. So uh, right. for us for us mortals, what is the problem with this technique? Why doesn't it why isn't it high percentage? Okay, so first of all, you need to grab at the join, which is relatively hard if your opponent's like already pre-programmed in that they're gonna throw a twercopter. Yeah, they really um, have to hesitate in the bind. I and think. then you need to corkscrew your right hand through below underneath, which might be hard if you're close on in. And then you've got to be able to yank it out with enough force that they're unable to resist. That might be hard if they realize, oh, he's grabbed my sword. I'm just going to thrash around. Which yeah, is I think it takes super long. My go-to anti-Fiore technique to someone grabbing my sword. <laughs> Um, but it, it, it's interesting, actually. Fiore has similar setups for throwing pommels to the face. Um, he wouldn't take the sword. He would just bring his sword up so he could jab you in the chin with it. Um, and that might be the way to do this against an opponent who's resisting slightly more. Um, don't even worry about the sword taking. Just get your pommel in there and go to town. But it's a similar motion from your perspective. Yeah, like I think the big constraints are that you need you need to get the grab on both blades, which is a pretty difficult specific thing to grab because both blades being together and grabbable is a very tight timing. And you need a very specific distance and series of distance changes to make the like you need to have enough space to get your arm through, but to be close enough that you can get the leverage on, and then you need to be turning in a right in a way that allows you to get the leverage and they not need to not be moving in a way that negates your pressure and a bunch of things have to line up right. Is this Which is why it's easier can... with the skill overmatch. Is this one that we can blame on having longer swords? No. <laughs> no. I got longer swords to make this easier. Um, uh, I, I want to just point one thing out, and that is from uh, Rast's von Baumann. Um, he gives a little bit extra information on the setup of this. He says... If someone binds to you and is so steady in the sense and is so steady in the sensing that he indeed does not want to let you go from the sword, then grip with your left hand in the middle of both swords blades and blah blah blah. So okay, so it's somebody trying to do like a wreck fence thing. Yeah, they're intent on binding you and they're intent on staying in the bind and seeing what you're doing. So we know that if someone. If someone's immediately going to leave the bind and cut around, you probably won't be able to do this. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's super long because you need to grip the bind, you need to push your hand uh, underneath the two swords, and then you need to yank to your right, uh, right side. Um, but there is an easier version, or I think it's an easier version, in Paulus Hector Maya. I don't know if it's anywhere else, but it's the one where you... Grip the two swords in the bind, but then um, push with your handlet with your right hand to your left side. So you're also gripping to the bind, but you don't go underneath to your right, but you grip the bind and push to your left. And I think it's way easier because it's way faster. I've done it. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say that reminds me of something I've seen Artifama do. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it. I've done it in a tournament, and it was a tournament where I won the technical prize. So, <laughs> disarms are a great solution for winning technical prizes. Um, yes, <laughs> it does surprise me that you all describe this as being so fussy and 
and you need to get the timing just right because it's never been that way for me. But also I've always done it as the Vadi half sword version. And it's way easier when your hand is already in the middle of the sword. Um, but I think once you get that, the like the forward and the backward, I think it's easier than you're making it sound, I guess. But maybe that's me. That's probably fair. Okay. I think that the transition to make the grab is particularly the challenging thing in doing it from a longsword grip. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Especially because, like, you don't have... You have to do the transition, and you have to do it while they remain in the bind the whole time, unless you've pre-planned to do the action the moment you're getting the bind, and then you have to get the bind just right so they don't smash through your sword and hit you in the hand that's going to grab them, and, like... That all gets messy very fast. Mm-hmm. Would be my my answer there. Right. But it may not it may not be the the skill gap as much. I mean, it is, but but as much as the overawing right that causes the opponent to want to get stuck on the bind, right? Because somebody who's a little freaked out by their opponent is gonna is gonna give the setup for this. Yeah, if you can scare I, someone enough to stick in the bind on you, then that helps with a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think a part of it is also it's going to be keeping pressure in the bind while you're grabbing with your left hand, mm. as opposed to accidentally pulling your sword back while you're reaching forward. Which, yeah. Um, so that's the end of the, the arm wrestling plays in RDL. N, I guess. Um, but I think it's worth pointing out what plays that we haven't seen here. We haven't seen any pommel hits. We haven't seen any shortened swords, which is what half-sorting is when you actually don't make up terms. Half-sword is, haven't... in fact, a term. It's just less common than people make it out. That's <laughs> uh, real. Damn. All right. That, that serves me right for being uh, a nerd. Then we haven't seen very many just arm wraps as opposed to trying to get a hand in there and then throw. Right. I would say that all the basic arm wrestling movements that are across treatises are missing here. And what we have are compound actions combining two or three of them into one technique, which it seems like a weird way to cover this subject. Uh this is why Wallerstein is actually KDF. It's actually at least an hour KDF. <laughs> they belong together, and the proof is in the Clooney. Proof is in the Clooney. <laughs> you mean that extra section that someone added to the end of the Lichtenauer plays in the Clooney? Peter's still says the text is Peter. It's Peter Faulkner. Peter Faulkner is the Lichtenauer guy QED. He he I might have, that might have just been some Mark Schroeder <laughs> bullshit that was added in by Peter Faulkner. We don't know. Well, <laughs> one way or another, by that time, it was real. And Antonius Rost did um, Wallerstein also. So there's even more proof. So so he, my question, my question would be: Can you teach these techniques to someone without covering all those basic, more basic techniques first? Uh, or can you teach you obviously you can teach them can someone learn them without learning all those more basic ones first sure because they've been showing up to wrestling class and they've learned it all without their sword so oh. they're good to go <laughs> hmm good yeah, answer so oh, sorry <laughs> in light of that answer i would say if there's no wrestling class and you haven't learned basic stuff then no you can't make these work or you're probably there's there's a low chance that you're going to be able to make them work, mm. and you'll probably end up just in sparring, like picking up basic stuff as you go anyway. So you'll be in that situation oh, yeah. where you're learning different stuff in sparring than you are in class, and it's like you're in two different classes. So this is as much as it it pains me to admit this. This is actually one of the strong points of Fiore that you can show the figure four and you can show the chicken wing with the dagger and with unarmed and then show it being applied to longsword. I agree. 
Um, I think Dagger is one of the best places to teach some of these things. And yeah. then you can figure it out in storage once you know it with the dagger. But is the dagger really just teaching you wrestling? I don't know. Wrestling, when there's also a weapon involved, is a little bit different than just wrestling. So yeah, I think like, dagger has that going for it. My, I'm just saying, my, that's how I started to learn wrestling. Yeah, my, my favorite is unarmed against dagger, because it teaches you to worry about that weapon yeah. first and foremost, and then worry about being countered. <laughs> and also teaches you that you can get punched in the face if you're worrying about that dagger too much. Yeah. Well, people learn that. I just want to point out that I've just had a quick look at the Clooney, and the Clooney has the double leg takedown, so we can add double leg takedown to the number of plays that we're not seeing here in Nishenhauer. <laughs> yeah, because Clooney includes all the good stuff. Yeah. All the uh, and stuff. Isn't it in Danzig? Double leg? Yeah. Isn't there when you run in, drop your sword? What am I? There was one dropping your sword, but that was to get some kind of figure four type lock rather than a, a double leg. Yeah, um, I think that's mostly polished then. I'm just mixing stuff up. Sorry, everybody. And I'm sure Talhoffer has it too because he's got tons of that kind of thing. Um, I don't actually think Talhoffer has the double leg, but. He doesn't have I any double leg? Really? Not that I can think of offhand, but I'm um, not super familiar yeah, but, with it. But speaking speaking of Talhofer, Lishenhauer here also doesn't have the, the push kick when the arms go high, which is like <laughs> a good one. ...that it isn't uh, a lacking in Lishenhauer, it's a lacking in the way we choose to look at him. Nah, it's lacking. <laughs> 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 Uh, what are you talking about? Because if Fiore, if Fiore were broken up like Lishenauer, you would only have three sections of Fiore. And then you would be like, oh yeah, and he also taught wrestling and dagger, but that's trash, and we don't look at it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Fiore just doesn't let you get away with that bullshit, and Lishenauer put the wrestling and, and the dagger on, you know, outside somewhere. And was like, seriously, learn that from my students because that's basic shit. That's where you start. Oh, I'm feeling spicy today. I'm sorry, everybody. I need to go eat or something. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> we need your opinions. Like that, That's totally fine, but I'd still say that Fiore and Talhoffer show a push kick that isn't here. And I would like right. it to be here. I like that push kick. Yeah, I think, I think Jess brings up a good point because... You know, we have to remember that that Zedel isn't just longsword; it's also uh, horseback and armored, a pony and tin can, respectively. And there's a lot of grappling; like there's a lot more grappling in um, in the tin can. Both of those. Yeah, and if you go to the tin can and you know take all the grappling back from there, then pretty much everything is covered. Actually, can I just say my favorite thing from the the uh, tin can is that they actually show a, um, a a wrestling combination, like a takedown combination, where you like you know you go after one foot to trip, and if he steps back with it, then you go after the other foot, which seems and then you, know, you punch him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which it seems on the surface like you no know, duh, it's like pretty basic, but like. The rest of them don't explicitly say that. Yeah, you gotta. It's it's got to be in there somewhere, like to, so that we know. And maybe you won't think of that of, of doing combinations. Well, okay, I'll say like anybody who is like a wrestler or like someone who does judo, like understands that that's pretty basic. But if you haven't done wrestling before, then you need to see that you can do combinations. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, yeah. The, the three wrestling, tr the three wrestlings treatise in Ringekas is literally three wrestlings that are counters and combinations with each other. It's a microsystem, and it's amazing. I was okay. If, if you if you do uh, 
if you do judo, you know, there's how many throws? There's like 65 throws or like 70 throws or something in judo, but you're not going to use all the throws. The way that you you kind of make your game is you find maybe three or four throws or even less, two or three even, that all uh, kind of cover each other's weaknesses and like fulfill a certain role. And then you basically just do combinations between them. Like you try to go for one if, and depending how he steps, go for the different one. So. So are you saying that the classic approach to approach to competitive judo is to establish a group of throws that interlink together in the area of excellence, make sure that yeah. the opponent is steered into it? Exactly. Yeah. That was a quote from one of your modern Olympic fencing books, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, he's just trying to push for Harmenberg's judo. <laughs> yes, that was a, a strong reference to Epe 2. All right, so on a scale out of 10, how, Friggin how good slash useful slash complete slash coherent would we say that the Lischenhauer wrestling at the sword is? For example... I'd say what it's missing is counters, like we see in Fiore. The the four throws at the body are although Fiore kind of goes overboard on counters. The throws at the body are good. The throws at the arms are a bit more mixed. The disarms are a bit like it's an interesting choice of disarms to be the only ones that get covered. Um, there are definitely some good techniques, but I don't have enough of an understanding of wrestling to have a full opinion on what might or might not be. Obviously missing, or be big gaps in the structure. The, the wrestling at the arm seems to be uh, maybe an advanced clinic on some interesting things you can do once you know all the basics. And I don't get that sense from the runnings through, which are, I mean, they're not the easiest throws in the world because there's swords involved, but they're also not the most crazy technical throws in the world either. Yeah. So they're they're fairly. I think they're a reasonable system, whereas the wrestlings at the arm are kind of all over the place. I I like that Lef has if their swords if their arms are high do this if their arms are high do that, which is a nice bit of guidance. I'm I don't like the choice of techniques. If that makes sense. Jay, have you got an opinion? It's nearly mm, bedtime. No. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you've done the different topic. You're an expert. I have a different topic I want to add, but at the end, I guess it doesn't fit in here. Oh, it does because it involves uh, disarms or sword taking, so maybe. Yeah. All right, there super quickly. Super quickly. Okay. Um, I found the technique I was looking for in Codex Wallerstein and in Rast. In there, you're supposed to um, not only push the sword over the opponent's blade, but also shove your sword into the opponent's face. Um, so I'm guessing the cross guard. Um, I did not do that in the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can also push your hilt um, in the hands, which is a little bit friendlier, um, but also not for tournaments. Um, but you can also just hook their cross guard with your own cross guard and push to your left side that works as well i'd say that i was just going to add that the the big difference between these wrestlings and pony wrestling is that when you're on horseback you have less control of the distance so you're either going past each other and have a few moments to do your wrestling or you're coming up beside someone and you're you're stuck at the same distance for a while and that's why you see cool cool plays there is that right people that do yeah am i right in thinking that this is six billion times better than the whatever you want to call it pseudo dobringer pole ms3227a which has no wrestling at the sword does it it misses a whole bunch of stuff out of the glass it has a entire section that it refers to as like wrestling though which i think gives you eight times eight different throws. Like, it, it, it presents them as, as two axes with eight different things, and as you can combine them all into different techniques. 
um, except one of them might actually be nine, even though it has its eight. I don't know. It's very confusing. I don't have an interpretation of it at all. But Christian Trostclair has an interpretation. He thinks it's the coolest wrestling system ever. So that's what I can say. Cool. Um, but it's the only place that claims to be Lichtenauer's own personal wrestling teachings, as opposed to Ott or other masters. Although, let's not forget the 327A also has Lichtenauer's sword and buckler. That's the most useful extended system on sword and buckler. Uh, well, his sword and buckler <laughs> is great, but that's a joke. Go look up the article on Lichtenauer and see what the sword and buckler says. Um. I think one thing which might be worth talking about a little bit before we, or while we wrap up is what's the, in the Danzig intro around this stuff, it draws a kind of a distinction between running through and ringing as two different things you, and like wrestling ringing as two different things you can be doing. Um, like right back at the beginning, it says, you know, Mark the, the running through the Dirkhalafen and the two kinds of the sword, the running throughs of the body wrestling. And then thereafter are the arm wrestlings. And that's an interesting little separation, which isn't covered in some, uh, in like in how this is often taught modernly. Normally, we just kind of mash this all together into one big thing. Um, but I find it interesting that they've split this like running through versus arm wrestling. The one distinction I wonder is whether it's a matter of whether you're both closing distance versus only one person closing distance, either me or you. Because if we both close distance, distance collapses like super fast, and it becomes body to body basically straight away. Um, if only one person is trying to make the distance close, then you will typically end up more at an arm wrestling type range. So that might be a kind of a cause of the difference. But it's an interesting choice of words to separate them in this way. Anyway, there's some thoughts. One last final bit of advice to people listening to this before we wrap up which is my counter to every arm wrestling at the sword technique is when the normally a fiore fencer closes in and tries to grab hold of your sword let go of it pick them up and carry them out of the ring for a ring out <laughs> it works <laughs> it works nine times out of ten and when it doesn't the judges <laughs> stop it <laughs> okay Okay. Yeah, like probably the biggest, actually one of the biggest rules about these actions is that if it's turning into a wrestling fight, you either need to commit to it straight away or have a plan for getting out of it with blade actions. Because otherwise you're going to have a bad time. Um, right, so... The, I guess the we'll thing, talk the about the blade have, action solution next week. The question, Yeah, the question I have that we'll talk about next week is how do you decide between wrestling and slicing? Yeah, like um, that's... And that's I think that's question. a big question that doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, but this is not the slicing episode, so right. we'll the next time for slice and dice, which doesn't actually have any slicing in. <laughs> Even <laughs> the fencing by the book, <laughs> the podcast where you take an in-depth look at the early edition, how our long saw glosses. I've been your host, Mike Smorich, and joining us this week have been Jess Finley, Johanna Hopfgardner, Kendra Brown, Michael Chidester, Stephen Cheney, and TQ. Thank you for listening. <laughs>